Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. I'm excited about today's episode, and I'm going to be honest, I had her on because I like the title of her book. Her book is called Tough Titties, and we are welcoming Laura Belgray. This is a book that is sort of breaking out of shame spirals, talking about self-care in a way that like we actually can get for once, and it's a big permission slip to be a dork. I'm reading this from some of the things about this book, and it just makes me so excited. It says, tough titties is one big permission slip to be a dork, a sometimes unspiritual slacker, a late bloomer, and ultimately 100% yourself. It'll have you snort laughing in public and tapping whoever's nearby to say, let me lead, let me read you one part, which is annoying, but tough titties. Please welcome Laura Belgri. All right, Laura, I'm very excited to have you on because first of all, I just think you're very cool. And it's fun when you, it's fun when you get to like scroll somebody's work very quickly and then be like, oh, I just immediately like you. But I have like a, I have a big question right out of the gates because in your Instagram bio, you say unapologetic, lazy person. And then followed up to that is best-selling author of Tough Titties. How the heck is that both true? Let's just start how, who the heck are you? What do you do? And how are you both a lazy person and a best-selling author? Okay, very good question. I have been accused a lot of being a fraud as a lazy person. (laughs) Of all things. Yes. (laughs) You're not lazy. I'm like, I have to protect my brand. I am too. I will go to the mat. As a lazy person, it's true. I like, especially when you have a book out and you really want it to do well, it mm-hmm. just doesn't afford you the luxury of being your lazy self. And I get it. I'd say I operate on a binary, which is some people say they're all, you know, all or nothing. I mm-hmm. would say I am more lazy or obsessed. And yeah, if I'm obsessed, that. that overcomes my laziness. I'm lazy in a couple of ways. One in that I'm not good at doing things I don't want to do. And mm. you might say, no, who is? 
lots of people. Don't you know people who are like, you know, these are my these are my to do's today, whether I yeah. like them or not. I'm gonna, you know, eat the frog and I'm gonna cross them all off, and yeah. they get their self worth from accomplishing things and do it very well. And I, meanwhile, am incapable of doing things I don't want to do, of getting up to an alarm. Yeah. Also, I cannot get up to an alarm. Like it's just, it traumatizes me <laughs> as long as I want and get up at my own pace and have my morning and just have, I, I love having nothing on my calendar. And in that sense, I'm different from a lot of people, most women I know, because I think most women derive their self-worth from, in a large part from how hard they work, mm. from working, working, working. And I don't. That is not something that makes me feel extra good about myself, like that I've worked super hard. I feel better yeah. about myself if I yeah. have not worked that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, I'm such a loser. I'm trying so hard. I'm efforting so hard this week. So that's, yeah, that's where my laziness comes in. That's but the inspiration that we freaking need these <laughs> days. I like that you sort of like put laziness on a spectrum though, because I do find as somebody with a current 63,801 emails, I'm very lazy at some things, but I'm very overaccomplished in others. And I don't, if I have like a gap in my calendar, I'm not lazy that way because I will fill it, but I will fill it with things that aren't necessary. Like I will suddenly hyperfixate on something that I like have to do. And there's like a crap ton of things that build up. But I feel like a lot of people feel like this with being like an extrovert or introvert because I always thought I was an extrovert until I went to like one conference and I was like, I hate everybody. Not hate everybody, <laughs> but I was like, I hate small talk. I'm exhausted. I just want to go. I've paid money to be here and I just want to sit in my hotel room. And someone was like, I think you're not an extrovert. I think you're an amnibird. I think you get energy from people and you also get drained by people. And you get energy by being alone and you get drained by being alone. And the same maybe is true with like things like laziness where we're like, I don't know. I str I struggle with rest, so I don't identify there, but I'm very lazy when it comes to replying to emails because I just, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> it's almost like I'm just like putting up a personal blinder. Like it's not there and I'm not worried and nobody can bother me. And I'm, that's just what I'm going to do. But I, I love that you own it. And I love that people have called you a fraud for, <laughs> I, I kind of just did, but not really. I'm more I'm like, I have questions for you. How are you both of these things? But talk to me about like, your story. How did you come into sort of working on the book Tough Titties for one, but also just the work you're doing and also like breaking people free or just yourself free from a lot of the shame spirals that kind of happen? Yeah. Okay. So different things I'll tackle. How did Tough Titties come about? That it's a, I've always wanted to write a book and I've been talking about writing one for decades. I mean, I can remember really? like 2003, a particular birthday party where I announced to everyone that I was writing a book. Oh my God. And that, <laughs> I still go back to that moment. I'm like, I think I thought declaring it at a birthday party would give me accountability and then it would happen. Yeah. And I've always wanted to write this a book of stories about my life and mm -hmm. never really knew so what, I think what stopped me, part of what stopped me was, I don't know where it ends. I don't know yeah. where the story goes. Like I have all these stories of kind of being a screw up and not having found my thing and being in crappy relationships and not hitting the, you know, the milestones that everyone else is, you know, hits or expects me to hit. At the proper timeline of my life, I always felt behind, felt like a late bloomer. 
And so every time I try to write the book, I'd be like, well, there's no real arc to it. I'm still this way. I'm still the same person. And I think I finally, for one, I was nearing 50 when I started working on the book in earnest and was like, God, am I going to reach 50 and still not have written my book? And I also had this vision of a bus bearing down on me, which is very possible. Like I often, you know, cross the street while making a reel on my phone um, and <laughs> or texting somebody. So not just and, a vision, maybe like a promise, yeah, like just like a, a warning. Very <laughs> yes. The idea of a bus bearing down on me. And I knew my last thought would be, well, besides like Stephen, my husband, like be happy. I would think I haven't written my book. And just that, that thought realizing that was in me kind of lit a fire under me to write the book. And I, at this point, had reached a certain success that I'd been looking for in my life, like found my career groove, found myself doing work that actually made me happy, where I felt like I was actually getting paid to be myself, which has always Mm. been my holy grail of work. Feeling like I'm doing this work that's an expression of me Mm. and getting paid for it and getting paid the kind of money or close to the kind of money that I, that I always wanted to make. So I think that fueled me actually sitting down and writing the book and it wasn't that easy. It's not like it all just poured out of me in the right order and the right Mm -hmm. chapters and all Mm -hmm. that, but that's how I managed to finally take action on it. And, and the work that I do, I'll explain, cause it's, now that I wrote wrote a book, it's way easier to say I'm a writer and yeah. people say, what did you write? And I can say, <laughs> I wrote a book, I get it. but I've been a writer for a long time. That was a lot harder to explain because at first I was writing promos for TV and mm-hmm. I'd have to explain promos or the commercials for the network and the network shows. Like it's mm-hmm. not TV, it's HBO. That's a promo. And I was writing those. And then once I got into the online space yeah. and started doing copywriting for private clients for maybe people like you, people with yeah. businesses who create content or their coaches or their, you know, all kinds of things, realtors. Um, you know, I bet so I became a copywriter in the online space and then eventually, and that was semi-easy to explain, like except that I'd say I'm a copywriter and someone would say, oh, my cousin needs you. He's got a name for his product and he wants to trademark it. I'm like, no, that's not no, copywriting. That's, <laughs> that's, that's R-I-G-H-T and you need a lawyer for that. Uh, <laughs> oh my but, God, that's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, so there's always a trick to like, what do you write? Oh, well, I have people with their website copy and their yeah, et cetera. Yeah, and yeah. Then, yeah. And then a few years ago, I pivoted from doing that to, I got tired of seeing here back to the calendar and laziness. I got tired of seeing appointments with clients on my calendar. Fair, like I don't want to meet with anybody. I don't yeah. want to work for anybody. On that um, note, thank you for showing up today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you I wanted to meet with. Just like I get it though. The conversation. Yeah. I will always show up for dinner. Or yeah. for a conversation, mm-hmm, but to mm-hmm. sit down to work and write somebody in somebody else's voice uh, and their stuff, it got tiring. Um, yeah. And I really always wanted to write in my voice and that be the vehicle that paid me. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I pivoted to, I really made my emails, like my newsletter 
the main engine of my business and used it to, I love telling stories. I love writing emails. And so I used those emails to promote things, courses that I've created. Of course, I co-created with my friend Marie Forleo called The Copy Cure and then other courses that help people write better, express themselves through their businesses, express the value of what they do, et cetera. And so that's how I came to do the work that I do. That's so cool. And honestly, I I love that we're now in a day and age. I mean, I grew up with parents who my dad's worked the same job since he was 19. And it's weird now because my daughter was in a careers and civics class or something, and she had to ask us about our career timelines. And I'm like, all right, well, I did this. And then I changed and I did that. And then I did this. And then I went into that. And it just felt like it wasn't the same arc that I've seen so many people have in their careers. And I mean, I only started to figure things out and who I was and what I wanted to be like mid thirties. And I like the idea of people getting that opportunity now that you're not like whatever you chose at 19 or let's be real, whatever you chose in grade nine, when they told you that the courses that you take impact the universities you go to and the jobs that you're going to have. I like that we get to hear stories like this where it kind of goes all over, but bleeds into the next phase. And I love that you talk about being a late bloomer because I think a lot of people feel that. They feel left behind. For me, it wasn't so much in the checking off. I mean, I got married really young. I had kids really young. But all my friends had school and career and I couldn't even get a job. It was, well, I did get a job. It was very hard to get a job when I had a 10 year year gap in my resume for being a stay-at-home mom. It was like impossible to get people to acknowledge my resume or get a call back. It was really, really tough. And so starting your like starter careers at starter salaries at 30 was humbling. I was like, okay, well, I have 23 year old friends that are making double what I'm making, but that's okay. We're like getting started here. And I never would have thought now inching towards 40 that I'd look back and be like, no, like this is stellar. I love, I love being a little bit older and doing all of this. Cause I figured things out in a different way. And I, and I had a different approach. What do you, for people who really do feel like that left behind late bloomer type feeling, what are sort of like, would you say are the perks of it are like the benefits of it are the joys of being a late bloomer. And like, let's lean into that. Cause I think we need more and more stories beyond like Tina Fey started working at this age or, you know, Samuel Jackson did his first movie in his forties. I love late bloomer stories, especially for women in, you know, they're in their own, like you said, your own voice and like your own space and like uh, capitalizing off of that. Yeah. I love that you're talking about this and the story you just shared about yourself, because it makes me think of something that I share in the book about my parents, both of them pivoted late in life. Like my dad was an industrial engineer for Eastern Airlines and American Airlines and became a psychotherapist when he was in his 40s. That's a huge pivot. Uh, Yeah, huge. That's when he found his life's work. He discovered he liked helping people more than he liked tallying theft of those mini liquor bottles, which was Mm -hmm. part of his job. And then my mom, I think encouraged by him because he was so passionate about his work and also about people finding their thing. She had a degree in music and had, before I was born, worked as in uh, a recording, a sound engineer in the recording industry and for Vanguard Records and then was like teaching music and just didn't know what she wanted to do yeah. once I was 
you know, when I was a kid and she had taken some time off, but she want, she she wasn't happy with her old career. And so she took a course like on finding your thing and it came with an internship and she found that she liked children's books. And so she got a publishing internship and, and this was in her forties. And so imagine, I mean, you just said how humbling it is to be like in your thirties and started with a starter salary. She was in her forties, an intern getting people's coffee and she's someone with a PhD and two kids and all these accomplishments behind her and starting over. And I mentioned both of them because those pivots, like they, those were, really great examples for me. Both of my parents were role models. They were modeling the idea that maybe you wouldn't find your thing till later in life, or you probably would switch careers and find something else. And that was always really encouraging to me. So your story is probably going to be super encouraging to your kids. Mm -hmm. They will see in you a model of like not having your career set in stone Mm -hmm. and being able to find something a little later in life. Now, like eventually you're going to look back at 30 and be like, oh my God, I thought that was later in life. What a baby. (laughs) You were an infant, just fresh out of the womb. (laughs) But still. If you follow me on my Instagram stories, you know this already, but I love using Pillsbury Crescent Rolls to make really simple dinners in 30 minutes or less. And ones that I know this is a tall order, all of the kids are going to eat. I like a very simple, easy meal dinner for the fam that they're all going to eat up. And I've got four kids, four different opinions, tastes, and Pillsbury has been coming in clutch to get those amazing meals that are cleaned off their plates. Recently, what I tried was ham and cheese on the inside of the crescent roll, rolled it up and sprinkled some everything but the bagel spice on top, baked them up. They came out looking not only delicious, but gourmet. They were so gorgeous and they were completely gone in minutes. Everybody loved them all the way from the two-year-old to the 17-year-old. Huge win in my house. But there's so much more than just simple crescent rolls with ham and cheese? What about a simple pepperoni pizza crescent roll or a chicken bacon ranch crescent roll? There are so many recipes you can find to use with crescent rolls on pillsbury.com. In case you don't have that inspiration already there and at hand, head on over and you can find out so much more. You can actually find Pillsbury in the dairy aisle and you know what? We're going to be doing this picky eater pleasing recipe summer with dinner prep in 30 minutes or less. Head on over to pillsbury.com for more weeknight dinner recipes and something to get us through these busy days and these packed schedules. Let's get back to the show. I just talked about this because I just went to Europe for the first time. I went to Iceland and I I acknowledged that this was like my first time going to Europe. And I also acknowledged how, one, it's like a super cool privilege to be able to like be able to go and travel, but also that I was the one at 21 with an infant in my arms, watching all my friends in university going backpacking across Europe. And now we've like sort of switched and like 
they're the ones kind of at home and I'm doing things. I'm like, why did I, I never resented them, but there was part of me that felt that because I took this one track, I immediately no longer could have the other. And it was so cathartic to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, why are we comparing timelines? Like why, why did I sit there and feel like, because I had this path that I exempt myself from having opportunity. My mom started seeing the world in her sixties and it was so beautiful watching my parents like travel together and getting to see a whole different part of her and, and maybe a piece that would have enjoyed it much more in the richness of what it was because there was so much anticipation building towards life that way. And I I don't know. It's like there's so many different things like that. And I think a lot of the late bloomer things is sometimes just us comparing timelines with what somebody else did. And those people in university may have also looked at me and been like, I can't believe she's got a house and got married and has kids and is has three kids and is 25. I feel behind. And I think that this yeah. is so important, especially as women, because we do this sort of measurement against each other with our, our lifetimelines and how things are gone. Or when you're like me and go through a divorce and move in with mom and dad, you're like, oh my God, I've reset. I've had to hit the reset button. I failed and I had to start again. And it, and it's not true because you can restart and redo things at any moment in time. And you'll never do it the same way because you've learned so many skills and so many lessons that you don't bring into the next house. You build a different foundation. So you have an entirely different experience. It's not an entire reset. It's just like a, it's like a reconstruction. And and I think that's, I think it's a really cool way to frame that. And I love that we sort of have like different stories in terms of like what that late bloomer feels like. And I'm sure everyone listening has like their own versions of it too. And I think it's, I think it's really inspiring. What sort of lent you to embrace you're being different. I think especially in a world where we get to have comparisons all the time, whether yeah. it's for your body, your career, the way that you move through this world, what you like to do. I mean, I have a neighbor, anybody listening knows neighbor Becky. She's the most unapologetic person and doesn't have a lot of aspirations in life and has always been so unapologetic for that. And I find that inspiring because there is a bit of this culture of you have to have it all figured out and you have to have this like all these big, amazing accomplishments in order to have a full life. And then I have this friend who's like, no, I like to take baths and watch like 20 hours of Love Island and read smut novels. And that fulfills me. It's just as motivating as watching people, you know, take world stages and and do these really cool things. And, And I think a big part of like what I've taken a peek at your work is sort of like how we experience shame in who we are and and how how we do, how we deal with that and i know you touch on that a little bit in your book as well yeah I, well i think you've touched a lot on measuring ourselves against other people and first of all in terms of timelines just to go back to that for a second mm. i i have realized cuz i tend to do that too and i've always felt behind all my life like i'm yeah. behind where this person is i'm behind yeah. where that person is in my career and my in adulthood, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I realized the only time you're really behind, the only time it actually matters is when someone's ahead of you in line for brunch. Basically, (laughs) other than that, you know, yeah, you got there too late. I was expecting a really serious answer. (laughs) (laughs) So real. You ever see people headed for the restaurant, like coming from the other direction, you're like, run. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> they're probably going to get that last table. Yeah. That's the yeah. It matters. Otherwise it's like, if you don't see the people, if you were to block them out, if you were to not see where other people were in their lives, how would that affect you? You would probably feel yeah. so much better about where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and everything and everything about yourself, like trying to be the same as other people I have found is first of all, it's the kiss of death for creativity, business, standing out, anything that any kind of creative success, any success that I value mm. in life is like, that is where being the same and fitting in becomes the kiss of death yeah. and standing out is where it's at and embracing who you are and your flaws and things that other people perceive as flaws. I think that sharing those, like not just embracing them for yourself, but sharing them and showing them to people is it offers so much relief yes. to other people. It's not just that it makes you relatable, hashtag relatable. Yeah. And you get more Because you'll lose that. Brain. You'll lose that in a hot second. You're, <laughs> yes. you're only related. We did a podcast recently about like relatability being the new box that we keep women in because you can only re relate to people when you're in a certain exact same scenario or scene as them. But like a lot of times we're not we're not meant to relate all the time. And I get that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you either have to be, you have to be relatable or aspirational. Yes. And if, yeah. <laughs> if you're not relatable, I guess you'd say, well, I'm aspirational. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's not only about being relatable on the gram, et cetera, but about giving other people permission mm. and relief, a feeling of like, oh, it's like when you wear or when someone, when you arrive at a party and you feel underdressed and then you see someone else wearing jeans yes. and maybe the host yes. or the host is like, oh, oh thank, thank God goodness. she's wearing jeans. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. I'm not alone. I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a service to other people to embrace who you are and be unapologetic about it. It gives them permission. Yeah. It's permission giving, it's relief giving, mm -hmm. it makes them feel better about themselves. So I just encourage that rather than hiding the things that you think are wrong with you or don't fit in. I mm -hmm. encourage just sharing them and like putting, really putting them out there. I also find it fascinating as we kind of are in the era of creators and sort of getting to know them. And I always like to ask people about like what those things were that they were made fun of as a child or were told a lot by adults. And then you recognize how much that that became who you were like, you 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 can't change certain parts of yourself like as much as you'd like to try you can mask it but you really can't and I think for me I was I tried to be like this persona for so long and it wasn't until like I fully embraced like the nerd in me and the fact that I'm like this flawed messy human and sort of chaotic that I really not only found success but also figured like I was like oh my god I don't actually have to go through all of this effort to try and be this version of me that I think is acceptable because I was actually more accepted as myself. But go back in my childhood and teachers told me I talk too much. My friends made fun of me for my body or would like say certain things about me. They like defined, they they helped define certain parts of me as negative. And then I grew up and was like, actually, that's like the best fucking part. Like, why did I, I mean, I get that the teachers told me not to talk because it was disrespectful. However... <laughs> However, it was like on every report card. And then I grew up and was like, this is great. I've naturally loved talking and having conversation and it's lent itself so well to my life. Do you have things like that, that, you know, as a child 
were sort of pointed out as flaws and that you ultimately were like, no, I'm taking this back and let you really be you. Yeah. Well, my, the first chapter in my book, Tough Titties is called Deb Fishbone Likes This. And it okay, is, explain. <laughs> so it is about me hate friending and hate following decades later, my sixth grade bully, whose name was oh, Deb Fishbone. Not wow. a real name. This is like kind of a real life mean girls. That's what she does <laughs> in the movie. She makes her, her yes. friend. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, for me, it was just years later out of curiosity yeah. and maybe her, maybe me wanting her to see that I'm like thriving yeah, in my yeah, life. Because yeah. in sixth grade, she like I was looking back, I was someone you would call a nerd, a dork, yeah. you know, and in that milieu, it, according to my peers, a loser. And yeah. at least as soon as sixth grade rolled around and Deb yeah. Fishbone decided to steal my best friend, who was like a dork loser with me. And yeah. we had our own secret language and we played video games together and we did oh everything God, together. And we were just full on nerds with no awareness of like, we're nerds. We stay yeah. that we don't fit in. That hadn't arrived yet that mm -hmm. that awareness so we were blissfully unaware of that and then deb fishbone stole my best friend another deb and they became deb squared and kicked me yeah, how dare they kick me kicked you out you got kicked, kicked out, out of the of my whole thing group. yeah i got kicked out of my friend group i was made fun of not for any particular thing that like has now become my superpower necessarily, except that I was different. I mm -hmm. wasn't cool. I didn't wear the cool things. I was obsessive about like, you know, video games and stickers and all kinds of, I had all kinds of nerdy hobbies and they were not interested in that. And they went to buy leg warmers without me and kicked me out of pizza okay. Wednesdays, et cetera. And then the, you know, piece de resistance of her torture that year besides getting everyone to turn against me was I had a, I had been handed back a creative writing assignment that we had for English. And I had written a piece of fiction. It was not about me, not at all autobiographical about a girl named Liddy, not Laura, who um, went to a totally different school in Manhattan. And, um, and she said, so I was very proud of this piece and Deb Fishbone in the lunchroom, I was holding it and she grabbed it out of my hands and went, I'm like, Hey, that's mine. Give it back. And she starts reading it out loud. And like, of course, turned <gasps> to exactly the right page. She just had this nose for vulnerability, turned to the page where it says, I have good friends, but I feel like I'm losing them slowly. And then she looks up at me and she goes, this is you. I was like, oh, no, oh it's not. God. It's called fiction. You don't know what fiction is. And she was like, no, this is you. And I've never felt so exposed and so vulnerable. Yeah. And this is um, like the this is like scripted mean girl bully. Like this is. is like this is like <laughs> awful. It is. And it scarred so deeply because it taught me this lesson that I've spent my life unlearning, which is that it's not safe to be yourself. It's not oh. safe to express who you are. It's not mm. safe to stand out, to put something out there, to put creative work out there, to be different. And so, yeah, I've spent the rest of my life unlearning that and repeating to myself that life is not sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And one person disliking you can't ruin your life. Yes. What happened and when you followed her yeah. on socials? Like what happened uh, when you so, saw okay, when you hate so oh, yes. followed her later? Oh, so, right. So there's where the title comes from, where you're like, explain, Deb Fishbone likes this. All I would really see of her in my feed, she didn't post much. I would see 
her likes of major retailers, you know, where it would yeah. say like us on Facebook and she would yeah. just robotically click like. And so my conclusion was that she had turned out to be remarkably unremarkable and totally basic, mm-hmm. like a big old basic bitch who likes Zara, Shop Bop, uh, Bloomingdale's, yeah. every retailer that comes across her feed and says like us on Facebook. And I like yeah. those things too. I mean, yeah. I order way too much from Shop Bop myself, but it was just the robotic. It's not the things that she likes so much. It's just the mm-hmm. idea that she's sitting at a desk and in a, you know, a dull insurance job, which I do have evidence of. And, you know, in like work a day, like her Friday casual clothes, maybe shopping on J Crew and hitting like, and wishing that, and, and maybe Googling something like how to be unique. Yeah. And, oh, man. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. The full circle of that. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Oh my gosh. That was such a great, does she ever reached out to you? I've got to know. No, no. no. Too much pride um, for that. Yes. And then when I went back, when I went back to kind of fact check myself, when I was writing this, mm-hmm. I discovered that she had unfriended me. Oh. <laughs> it was too real. It was too real. So Tough Titties really takes us through your journey. And but tell me, the title is the fucking best. And if I'm honest, <laughs> immediately why I was like, I didn't even read your bio yet. And I was like, have her on the podcast immediately. Her book is called yeah. Tough Titties. I love her. Tell me why Tough Titties and sort of what people can expect to really take away from it. And I love that it's become this bestseller of you telling your story. Thank you. Yeah, tough titties is a an expression that I found myself saying naturally. I was like, what is this book? I don't know what to call it. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And then one day I realized, oh my gosh, I always I said it to somebody. I was like, yeah, tough titties. And I realized I say that all the time, A, because I'm just still 12. Yeah. And B, because it is my natural response to all the supposed to's in life. Mm. Like, well, you're supposed to do it this way. Mm, tough titties. Yeah. So-and-so thinks you should be, you should tone it down. Oh, tough titties. And I so I've said, I realized I've said tough titties to most of the big supposed to's in life and adulthood, mm-hmm. like, you know, sticking to this timeline, jumping, climbing the corporate ladder, could not hack it in corporate, mm-hmm. getting up at a certain hour, having a morning routine. Now, like learning to drive, I did learn to drive, but I don't drive. Having, ki- I said, tough titties to having kids. I didn't yep. want that. Everybody wanted me to have kids. Everyone said oh, I had to that's have That's the kids. world. Everyone tells everyone mm-hmm. to have kids, even when they don't want them. Yeah, exactly. And I said tough titties to that and to a lot of other and just doing life the way you are supposed to and having Mm. the kind of job you're supposed to. And even in the end, writing the kind of book I'm supposed to, because in my industry, I'm expected to write a prescriptive, like either self-help book, copywriting book, marketing book, something with action steps and your, you know, takeaways and bullet points at the end and like what you'll learn in this book on the back cover. And yeah. it's like tough titties, not tough titties, That's that not what it's going to be. People can take away what they want maybe from it, which is yeah. so healing in and of itself. I could talk to you forever. I love this conversation so much, but I would love for people to sort of dive. First of all, read the book, dive into your work. Where's best for people to find you? You're so comedic, but you're so honest and it's like very, very refreshing. But yeah, like let's, let's shout out the things. Thank you so much for asking. Okay. So the book they can find at toughtittiesbook.com. 
Mm. And don't type in toughtitties.com. <laughs> I've been toughtittiesbook.com and then my digital home it's really a redirect to talkingshrimp.com which is my website and it's spelled exactly as it sounds talkingshrimp.com and then on Instagram which is still my most comfortable platform yeah even if, even if the algo hates me I am at yeah at Laura Belgrade. okay amazing Laura thank you so much this has been really 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 fun and a great way to start thank the you week. and for everyone listening we're to have everything in the show notes for you as well um and check them out there we'll see you next week Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.